You're listening to Around Comics, episode 183, Emerald City Comic Con Special, part 2. Folks, uh, back uh, at the Emerald City Comic Con, day two. <laughs> that was really stupid, <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> was, we didn't uh, even plan that. That was just dumb on uh, accident. That's just how in tune we are right now. Yes, uh, locked it, into the world of comic book podcasting. I know, and it's uh, it's the calm before the storm on Sunday. It's uh, it's also Mother's Day, so happy uh, happy Mother's Day to happy uh, Mother's Day. Have you, have you called your uh, your wife? Not yet. No, I let her. Sleep. There you go. That's probably the best present you could give yeah. her. Hopefully she she was able to sleep in a little this morning. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's quiet on the floor. Uh, the, I'm Christopher Neesman, by the way. I'm joined by my partner in crime, uh, Mr. Salazar. Hello. Yeah, back to the world of podcasting. Are yes, they dragged me back, tried to get out, mm-hmm. and they pulled me back in. Was it is it like riding a bike? Uh, you know, <laughs> quite an, honestly, an old quite, an old rusty bike. <laughs> quite honestly, <laughs> yesterday because I hadn't I hadn't spoken into a microphone. I hadn't really talked about comics in a long time. Uh, the first half hour or so, I was a little rusty. I had to had to kind of get WD-40. back into the shtick, and, <laughs> and yeah, I had to get back into things. And, and but once once I got back into it, uh, felt felt pretty comfortable. So yeah, good to, good to have you back and uh, having fun here in uh, in the old uh, Emerald City. It's been a, it's been a good weekend. I, I crashed early last night though. I ran yeah, too hard on, on Friday. You uh, you burnt down quick last mm-hmm. night. Uh, it was pretty early evening for you, and I, me and Tom went out and. Hung out with Scotty and Kari Andrews and Chris Moreno and uh, the usual just, cast yeah, of characters. Just uh, kind of wasn't you know anything crazy actually. We were uh, kind of just chill and and had a few drinks and bullshitted with it, each other. Everything that you do uh, the <clears throat> night of a of a big con, except for me, I, I think I was in bed by by nine. <laughs> that's pretty man. early. Man. I had to go home. Well, that's and, eleven our time. Yeah, watch know, watch so. Little People's Court. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you had dinner at four, yeah, and <laughs> uh, yeah, you had your meatloaf at four, so you know it was right right on schedule. Mm-hmm. So, uh, impressions on the, on the show after uh, after a full day of it? Uh, you know, this is a really nice uh, uh, small show. I was yesterday. I was amazed at the amount of people, um, and we were talking about a lot. You know, talking with Scotty and Kari and, and different creators that that uh, this was their first show, first time at the show. Uh, people were really busy. Artists were really busy, busy doing sketches. I think Scotty sold out of his sketchbooks yesterday in one day. Um, guys were just really, really busy, and and I think we kind of figured it out was that, you know, this this is a smaller size show. It's not mm-hmm. a huge mega event like uh, New York or San Diego. And it or, is totally mm-hmm. a comic book show. Yes, this is completely a comic book show. There's very little anything else. I mean, you have a couple of of the celebrity signings and that kind of thing, but. Um, but I think the big difference is is is, is the lack of presence by 
uh, a both Marvel and DC. Mm-hmm. Neither of them have a booth here. Pl- plenty of writers, artists, and yeah, yeah, but, but, here, the, the, but yeah, there's no booth. There's mm-hmm. no um, and and B is you don't have the the sort of swell of of uh, journalism or, mm-hmm. or or you know bloggers and websites and and uh, media mm-hmm. that uh, that goes to those other other conventions. So this is way more of a fan show. Oh, yeah, I mean you 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 know there's there's some big name creators here, and all you have to do to sit down and talk to them for a little while is stand in line and you know and and it's very personable with all with all these guys and and it's very much a fan friendly show yeah, as opposed to the big you know oh. hoopla that surrounds the other and there's yeah. nothing wrong with that oh, I mean, that, you know, those you know. are those are events <laughs> and yeah. it, it actually is kind of nice to go to a show that doesn't have a ton of the the big booths with the booming music right. and screaming Wrestlers people and, yeah, and <laughs> yeah, throwing throwing t-shirts yeah. to people that that don't you know obviously have any t-shirts at home because they're killing each other to get to them <laughs> you know it is it's just um it, it's it's way more about the artists and the writers and and the fans mm-hmm. wanting to get their work and say hello and get their autograph or or get their uh, sketches that mm-hmm. kind of stuff um even the vendors i mean there's there's not a whole lot of vendors here um you know they're enough, but oh, sure. it's not like, uh, I mean, this is mostly uh, a creator show. One of the things that we were talking about last night, which is a little different um, from, from other shows I've gone to, it's like you go over into Artist Alley and Gail Simone is set up at a table. And you don't see that at a lot of right. shows. Greg Rucka has, be, has a table. Yeah, Brubaker is Baker's sitting there at a yeah. table. And, and you don't see that because they're usually just doing signings at... Uh, at the, the Marvel booth, booth the, Marvel or the booth, DC, DC booth, booth. Yeah, yeah, and you have, you know, so, yeah, it's really cool um, that, you know, just bumping into a guy, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you know, uh, just running into somebody on the floor, running, it's just a m- more laid-back atmosphere, mm-hmm. the, the, the uh, the creators aren't in sort of the promo you know, promotion yeah. mode. Um, they're more just laid back and having a good time and enjoying themselves and friendly. And uh, it, overall, man, I I've really really enjoyed myself in Seattle first oh, and foremost. Yes. Seattle's awesome. Town. This is this is a world class city, and and we may have mentioned it yesterday. Everybody knows how much we love Chicago and love our town, and mm-hmm. and it is it is a, a great city. But but Seattle may be my favorite destination. Now. It's it's a very. I'm definitely going to come back. to Seattle. It, it, I just had so much fun. The people are cool. It's clean. Oh, yeah. It's a very walkable city. There's mm-hmm. plenty to do, plenty to see. It's a good comics town. Good comics. I mean, it's it's a cool... This is just a cool, cool city. And, and the show is a perfect uh, uh, reason to come you know, to Seattle, enjoy the city, and then go to the con. And, and the con's been great. I mean... Uh, Packed, but not to the point where it's like obnoxious. And uh, New York, lots of New, costumes. New York, of, you know, um, as great as that show is, it is um, it's exhausting. And yeah. I've heard the same thing about San Diego. This has been uh, um, interesting enough that I haven't been bored for one second. I haven't had right. a bad experience in Seattle or at the convention. So yeah, it's uh, we're, we're kind of bordering on gushing here, but it's because it has been such a great yeah, weekend. Yeah, it's, it's been a fun. It's been a lot of fun, and and you know, it's cool. It's not a huge show where it's like you can walk the show in. 40 minutes, no mm-hmm. problem. See everything. But what's nice about that is it gives you time to, to linger and see things and go and, you know, and spend more time with, with creators or spend more time getting sketches or spend more time at a booth, look at, you know. And the other thing I will say about this show that was sort of remarkable was the amount of younger people, yes, kids, teenagers, 
Uh, this is a much younger show than I'm used to. I mean, we were definitely the old men. <laughs> we, are, we are the old and, farts. Yeah, I mean, there weren't... It, 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 this is... It, mo- the Most of the people that I saw yesterday were probably in their 20s, mm-hmm. um, and a, a lot of teenagers, and a lot Gen- of kids. Genuinely enthusiastic yeah. about comics, too. Tom had to, had, Tom had to elbow a six-year-old yesterday uh, in, a, in a long box, you know, to get uh, a copy of, like, action... Yeah, but that six-year-old's... Stomped on his foot well, first. Well, yeah, you know, you know but still, you don't really take your elbow <laughs> to where I no. He, but um, just a, they have an, they actually have a kids uh, booth here mm-hmm. for kids activities to keep them, you know, uh, having fun and and entertained. And uh, see, yeah, you just see a lot of parents with their kids and and a lot of teenagers. And yeah, it's it, it's been a really cool show. Mm-hmm. It really has. Yeah. I, I I will definitely be wanting to come back to this show into Seattle. And we're obviously good luck for the White Sox. Yeah, two and zero, baby. Yeah, two and zero. Sorry, Mariners fans. <laughs> so the White Sox never play well on the West Coast. It's just because we haven't gone with them. I guess so, man. And there was a lot of White Sox fans at the was, game with us yeah, Friday White night. White Sox travel well. Yeah, travel yeah. well. So it was, it was good. Well, today's uh, yesterday, a lot of those creators that we were talking about uh, bumping into were very busy at their tables mm-hmm. and doing a lot of sketches and signings and all that. So hopefully today we can uh, lure a few over and uh, and have some nice sit downs. So yeah. there should be a lot uh, a lot more interviews and, and I discussion think my with plan those folks is today. I'm going to ask um, every creator that we want to talk to. Uh, for a sketch, pay them and, and just have them do it here. And they just come over here. Yeah, I have to do it at my table. Hey, that um, that could so that could work. That might work, and I can mm-hmm. get a sketch out of it. So yeah. that's the plan. Hopefully, we'll get some some good people to talk to and have some more fun on our getaway day today. Absolutely. So, so uh, lots of fun stuff coming up on the Emerald City Comic Con special day two, and uh, then it's back uh, back home to the Flatlands. Yeah, I won't have to walk up hills oh. every. That's the only thing about this city. I need. I you need move a here by by, 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 a, by a Segway. A Segway, yeah, yeah. I, it would fit in. A Segway certainly would fit in. Yes, yeah, very very Seattle um, in, in scope. So yeah, that's my only complaint, man. It's hills here. It's hill. It's hill. It's fine going one direction. <laughs> Coming a, back, kind of the nature tough. of a hill. Yeah, well, you know, back in my day, I used to walk to school in the snow uphill both ways, yeah. and. Uh, yeah. Oh, I want to give a shout out to to the fine establishment Vons. If you're in Seattle, mm-hmm. over on Sixth uh, Sixth and and Pine, I think it is. There's a, a cool little bar that we spent the last two nights at called Vons that has anything you 625 want. different types of alcohol, and <laughs> I don't know how many hundreds of beers. And compared to Chicago, cheap yes. as hell. Yeah. Uh, so. Check out check out Vaughn's if you're in Seattle. Yep, good little. Oh, good where's little the bell? Oh, Tom's got the bell. Oh, Tom's got okay. Son of a bitch. Yeah, I'll drop it Ding. in later. Ding. All Vons. right. All right. We'll be back in just a minute. All right, and we're back, and we're joined by uh, Mr. Dan DiDio. DC Comics. Hey there, guys. How are you? Good. Very good. How are you? How's the con going? Good. Actually, it's been a lot of fun. It's the first time I've ever been to Emerald Con. So, oh, uh, really? Yeah, first time out here, actually. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. Great crowds. Uh, we could do a couple of panels. Uh, and we had a great reaction to what we were doing. And people seemed to be uh, interested in what's coming up and the Final Crisis and everything else going on. So Something's you know, coming up. <laughs> you know, believe it or not, we got to put some books out. You know, every month, you know, every month they tell me you got to get a certain number of books out. You get you a know. letter saying where are the books for next month. You're like, exactly. Oh, again. oh again. Yeah. What about it? They go, you, get, you want pictures on the pages too? What are you thinking? How right? does that work? How does that work? Okay. 
So, uh, yeah, yeah, we got a couple of things coming out that seem to be getting people excited. So uh, I'm excited. I really, I can I'm tell. You, you can see you're having a hard time keeping yourself in the seat. This is <laughs> no, this is really <laughs> exciting. Oh, this, is, yeah, this is, wow. Obviously, obviously a real long day for you. <laughs> <laughs> this, is very, this is me being very excited. Okay. You must, uh, you must enjoy going to cons because you seem to go into an awful lot of cons. I, I actually do. Um, I, and I say this a lot, and it, it always gets misinterpreted. But I, but I say keep on saying it because I, I don't care. Um, <laughs> take it the same way over. And <laughs> exactly. Sooner or later, somebody will understand what the hell I'm saying. Um, it gives us the opportunity. I always love the fact that the fans come out. Uh, they make the effort to come to the shows. You know, they, they're paying money to come in. They come to see the panels, um, and they're they're extremely passionate about the characters, about mm. the books, about what's going on. And I love that feedback. I love that interaction. Um, because you know, sometimes you're working and you're you're working just in this in this little glass bubble, solitary. Yeah, you're, yeah and you're yeah. we're making decisions that really affect so many of the characters and affect so many people. The way this stories uh, unfold and such that you want to make sure you're in touch with the fans, you're in touch with everybody, and and uh, more importantly, um, that you listen. Um, you can't do everything that everybody wants naturally, but <laughs> if uh, what you can do is hear what they're saying and understand, distill down what the core concerns are so therefore right. you can address them some way in the stories you know, over the over the over the course of the issues that'd be a hell of a month if you did yeah, it'd be, yeah. <laughs> here we go we pleased everyone we there's no <laughs> one upset <laughs> it's all fan based we just pulling people off just pull people off yeah, yeah anybody watch by it's man, the end of the saying. show man the people running out of people I can't tell you <laughs> at the, I'm at the bottom of the list <laughs> I, I, I always thought of like comic fandom as sort of for the publishers and, and for artists and creators as sort of both a gift and a curse in some ways because it's the same things that you know it's like the, the people that are so passionate and dedicated and and obviously that's a gift I mean that's a great thing as a, a publisher to have but on the same time it's that passion and dedication well, that can you know kind of get we make we, it hard and, well and, you we, know, we say difficult. our fans are extremely loyal and extremely fickle simultaneously yeah. um, they're loyal to the characters loyal to a fault to the me- fault to the medium they, they love and care about comics but they're really fickle about what what they want to <laughs> see and what excites them most right. um, and the reality is that we have a fan base you know because we, we do panels we talk to people and we know it's just the facts alone that we have a very strong fan base uh, that's been reading comics for a very long period of time. Mm-hmm. Whether they've been reading continuously for 10, 20, 30 years or went away and came back, they're extremely knowledgeable. Not just about the characters, but about the creators. So the days of just putting a comic out and people grabbing it sight unseen because, oh, that's my favorite Superman and that's my favorite Batman, now they're much more in tune with how the characters and the stories are created. Right. So they're more vested in what goes on there. Well, it's a it's a more educated consumer base. Absolutely. You know, are, uh, when I was a kid, like I, I had no idea who, who anyone was. Yeah, sure. I, just, I was yeah. like, oh, it's the Flash. All right, I'll read I, it. I, I always joke. I said I remember the days, you know, where you you had to be on the shelf. You know, for newsstand, you had to be on the shelf. So it didn't matter whether it was an original or a reprint. Something had to be out. Right. And I always go back to the uh, there was a Ghost Rider comic that came out where it covers Ghost Rider versus the Hulk. And I pick it up, and the, it's a reprint of the first issue. And I'm like, where the hell's the Hulk? <laughs> and sure enough, but then the next issue, same, almost the same color. Hulk goes right over the Hulk again. And there, at least the Hulk was in that issue. But it shows you that they had to get something out the door. Right. And uh, we can't do that now because there's a certain conceit or an expectation for the books that we put out. It's people aren't just grabbing it because they want to fill the collection, but they really are interested in what's happening inside the book and who created it. Yeah, and with the you know with the comics, of course, probably more expensive than they were back at least when I started you know buying when I was a kid. And if the more educated consumer, you know, people 
especially want what they feel is a three dollars worth yeah. of what of what they Absolutely, what yeah. they get. It it, it's still an inexpensive entertaining yeah. medium when you look at other things, yeah. but these are people's hard-earned money, so you can't take it for granted. Exactly. You know, and that's the one thing that you never want to say. Oh, you know what? It's only three dollars. It's never only three dollars to anybody. You know, if you know, I remember the days when comics went from twenty cents to twenty-five, and there I was as a kid cutting my list one book out of every five had to go in order to keep the same <laughs> spend the same amount of money and now you know, we just have to find out how we can hide that from our wives yeah pretty much <laughs> pretty yeah, much yeah. it's an investment honey really you don't really want to go on vacation that giant specter statue yeah. <laughs> Ooh, what I want it it's his art. It's his art. It's <laughs> <laughs> <Soul> art. <laughs> the, the business of promoting comics has, has changed a lot. Well, you know, everything changes. You have the, the internet and, and just the explosion in conventions. And, you know, I this is my third convention this year, and I'm really tired. And <laughs> Since you're old. <laughs> I, I actually look at the other way. Actually, the, the conventions reinvigorate me. Really? Yeah. Um, when you're working as hard as you are trying to get stuff out, uh, like I said, we're working in a bubble, so it, it, it exhausts you. But when you see how it affects people and they get energized, you, you feed off the energy of the room. I love our panels because mm. we get everybody all worked up. Sure. And it's, you're literally feeding off that energy because you see people caring that much and getting that excited. You know you're on the right track. You can't work, rush. You, you want to rush back and just get back into work again and say, okay, I think we got something. Let's go. Let's push it. Let's go farther. Let's try this. Let's try that. And a lot of the energy goes on. Uh, Ian Sattler's who's hanging over my shoulder over here. You I'm know, way Ian? Off your shoulder. Way <laughs> 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 The imagery is him hanging right yeah, there. Nobody could see that. I'm like, oh, hey, man. <laughs> 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 texting somebody else over here. <laughs> <laughs> really creepy, dude. <laughs> I feel the cold <laughs> hand of death. <laughs> okay, okay, now you're cramping my space. <laughs> <laughs> you're in the bubble. You're in my bubble. Take a step back. My personal I, I zone. Had to, I had to respect the day to be a five foot halo. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get all time. Actually, everybody else calls it a fallout zone. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> get out of arm's reach. Exactly. <laughs> well, how, how much does your day-to-day -day job change from con season to not con season? I mean, it's uh, so much travel involved, and it, <laughs> it doesn't because the cons are on the weekends. Yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah they don't have comp time, do they? You know, not really. So, you know, I mean, realistically, you know, we were we were working away on Thursday, flew out Friday morning. I'll be back in the office on Tuesday, flying back on Monday, and back into the grind. Wow. Um, um, the book's got to come out, bottom sure. line. And it's, it's, it's a monthly business. We put out books on a weekly basis. we got to be there. you got to sign them off. you got to see what happens. And if you're gone too long, I mean, that's primary what Ian's job is, that he's keeping track of everything, you know, in every incarnation of every script going out there from script to the first first scenes of the art to the finished art, the colors, and making sure that it's all still making sense. Uh, because things can go move so quickly and go off track, sure. you know, and we're working so far in advance that if you do go off a track, it doesn't get fixed within 15 minutes. It gets fixed in three months, four months, because that's the process. Have you guys been able to learn from uh, like 52 and now Countdown on the weekly books? You know, making is that is it getting any easier to do that stuff? Or? Um, no. The fun part about doing three different versions of a weekly book is that you make new sets of problems for yourself. <laughs> on each it's all new mistakes. Every it's time. all new mistakes. And what you do is you fix something that's broken here and you break something else over there. Mm. Um, and that's what happened. I mean, what happened was that. In 52, we had four writers who were supposed to write. Each one was supposed to do an individual issue. Right. That's the way it was working. <laughs> but they all got together and they said, well, we had a great idea. We're all going to write every issue together. <laughs> it's okay. Sounds great on paper. There's and a like, crack of thunder. And the idea is like, oh, well, we each do just five pages, so how much can that take? Well, the problem is that you do a meeting for the outline, for the story, every week. So that eats up your time. 
Then you try to condense what you would want to put in the book to the amount of pages you have available to you. That takes a lot more time. So what happens is that the writers, for four writers for 52, who thought they were only doing five pages a week or 20 pages a month, were doing the work of four series. <laughs> and it impacted everything else. And it, it really, they were exhausted. And you could talk to a couple of them. Greg was uh, just here. Yeah. He, he said they're like old war buddies. Now. Yeah, it was. They, were, they went through the war together. But more importantly, some of the guys were like, I don't know if I ever want to write a comic again after that experience. <laughs> so we go, okay, let's change the process. So we change the process. And now what we do is we put a head writer up there. We're working with four writers. What happens then, though, we try to go wide and tie in all the stories to everything. But when you try to tie everything together, um, not every series moves at its own pace. Right. So all of a sudden you're faced with, okay, we're going to take Kyle Rayner and bring him into our story over here, into Countdown. Well, but he's still busy. Yeah. In the middle of no, uh, in, in, in the middle of Sinestro War. Do you want to sacrifice Sinestro War to make Countdown story work faster? Well, wait a minute. Flash is dead in Flash book, but that book has to come out this month. Well, we, we needed more time to set that up. We don't have it now. Okay, so that gets hurt. So a lot of storytelling was compromised because you were trying to line up all the, the stories up properly. Yeah, stuff that wasn't really, I would say, that important to enjoying like the whole story. Yeah. When you're, you're getting hung up on exactly sure, like, a lot of your job is making sure all of those individual pieces fit together. And that, actually, that's what and that's what Ian's job is now because he's on his, he's looking six months out. He's looking eight months out. <laughs> Look at him. He makes, he's running away. <laughs> <laughs> he's, looking, he's crying. Why did down. you tell people that? <laughs> but but the idea is that now what happened and then what happened with Countdown is that because we were worried about this book over here, somebody's worked doing on Green Lantern on the right, somebody's doing Flash on the left, somebody's doing JLA in another corner. All of a sudden, it's like, well, who's taking ownership for the story beats? Right. Yeah. Who's, who's covering who's what major events? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happens is that you soften the impact of the overall storytelling because you diffused who is telling the key emotional beat of the story. Is it a flash beat or is it a countdown beat? Is it a Green Lantern beat or a countdown beat? So what happens is that you became six of one, half dozen of the other, and, and nobody took charge. Where's your center spine? Exactly. Yeah. And therefore, it, it weakened the overall storytelling. And then when we realized that, we said, okay, stop. We got to break everything loose and fix it, but like I said, it takes two, Once three months, to, four to months to get there. Tom yeah. Made that point you last know? week. He said, whenever you're doing a weekly book, it's like you, you can't stop. You can't stop. And yeah. it, but even more importantly, if it takes you three months to fix it, yeah. you know that's that's 18 issues in right. in, in, <laughs> in, 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 in weekly comics. Yeah. You know, which is a huge chunk of change, and that's a huge investment on the on the fans' part. So now what we've done, we've created a new set of problems. We got one team writing the whole thing and basically Trinity is, is on the shoulders of Kurt Busiek and Mark Badley so you live in, and die and your success and failure is all built on that team and we have an immense respect and, and faith in them but it's all on their shoulders well, it's I a think lot of responsibility you can always just force Mike team. Norton to yeah. do it yeah. what? <laughs> you can well that's, Mike. A, that's one great thing about it the, the backup artist I, mean, you know, I hate using the word backup artist because it's not true it's really it's, it's a supplemental story yeah. that supports the, the, the front story which is really great um, you have Mike Norton you have Scott McDaniel you have Tom Derenick these are all guys who are just hard working you know, mm -hmm. delivery lunchbox guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They know how to. They know how to meet a deadline. Yeah, and that's why we know we have a lot of faith being able to deliver product. And Bagley, you know, God bless him. He's eleven issues in already. And you know, <laughs> he's, and he's, a just, he's a machine. And he's the yeah. type of guy. You talk about me with conventions. He basically came to us and goes, "I, I don't want to do any conventions. I got to hit my. I got to hit my schedule." And we're like, "Oh God, bless you." Fall to your knees. over his over his career that he can do these long stories that have these great moments yeah. in them and in these these great vignettes. And, and, I, and I'm and really he, he understands that. the universe. He knows it 
intimately. He knows the characters. He knows how to tell it from a street level, a cosmic level. He knows how to integrate it all. And that's one of the reasons why we have incredible faith in what he's been able to create for us. Do you see the weekly book as being like a, a DC, like a thing that as long as it's... Well, I already know. I mean, I already know what the fourth weekly would be. Yeah. And it's a complete reinvention of the wheel for the fourth time. Yeah. Um, and we're hoping that the success, the anticipated success, yeah. because I actually believe it will be a huge success for us with uh, with Trinity, yeah. will justify the creation of another weekly. I like them. So I like getting. I, a you book know what? Weekly, it, you know? We yeah. have a distribution system that is a weekly distribution system. Yeah. So therefore, we should create to the speed in which we deliver product. You know, everything everything that we do, every all the media is built on the delivery system. How fast somebody can put something out there. Yeah. So realistically, we should move to the quickest we can move, which is a weekly delivery. Well, okay. considering other medium, uh, you know, other entertainment outlets are, are getting faster and faster on demand. Yep. You know, entertainment exactly. is becoming that. Kind and that's of it. And that's the whole thing is that you you sit back to long you miss the boat yeah and I think what our strength is the periodical nature of the business we've created so therefore we should play to our strengths mm -hmm. and the periodical and the weekly periodical is one of the strengths of the comic business well we, we record out of a comic shop normally whenever we're not you know jet setting around the country and and Mark jet setting Mark they told train. me it was a prop plane it's a nice greyhound yeah. <laughs> our, uh, our shop owner Mark Beatty loved 52 it helped his business yep. so much and one of the things that he said is that first of all it was like having a top selling book every week yep. and it also brought people that would maybe come into the shop every yep. other week or once a month they were now coming into the shop every week right. and they weren't just picking up 52 or countdown it also gets them to pick up the other Absolutely. two things that they're interested in so the retailers it was a huge boom for them as I said you know because I you know I bought comics until I walk you know until the moment I started at DC and I still go to the comic shop every week you know we still we, we still like, you know I on the way you know at the end of the you know every Wednesday still going to the comic store I liked it it's, it's a habit of mine I like right. doing it and more importantly though um, like yeah we went to two comics over here on Friday but, <laughs> but what, what I was saying is that you want you want a reason to go to the store, and if you know something's going to be there every week, it gives you justification for going. Right, and right. that's what we're trying to do is justify people's reason for making the trip. Because sure. people go, hey, you know what? I don't have to go today. Oh, it's, uh, Superman's not coming up, out. Yeah. I can get later. I get this because nope, this one's coming out this week. You know yeah, what? They're delivering it on Wednesday. Yeah, I got to be there on Wednesday to get right. it. The next week of fifty-two. That's why you have to go to yep. the shop. Yeah. Yeah. She knows not to call me on Wednesday after <laughs> yeah. work. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, that's the that's that's the that was the fun of it and the difficulty and, and it, it was tough. Honestly, it was real tough for me after DCU Zero to skip and to take a month off. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was You're sitting there and it was like, shaking. You know, and I'm like, you know, when we had long discussions about this and whether or not we should just go straight into Trinity. Uh, but you know what? With, with, with DCU Zero, that was 104 weeks in a row delivered consistently uh, between 52 countdown and Zero. Um, and what we thought, though, is that we didn't want to confuse issues. Final Crisis is its own entity. Yeah. And I didn't want to introduce Trinity in the middle of the window of Final Crisis. At least people get confused with what Trinity is compared to Final yeah. Crisis. Yeah, then I had to read all of Countdown. Exactly. To, to, to exactly. And, we, and everybody seemed like the... It was good, I think. The funny part is that we took a, only a month off. And we argued, should we take two months off? Yeah. Three months off? Right. A week? Two weeks? Uh, we chose one month. And uh, it seemed that everybody reacted very positively. To a little breather, a little catch my yeah, breath, yeah. but I don't want to be out of that business for too long. Sure. And they Shaking. actually looking forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to put a week. We're gonna, let's but it is, but, you, but you, we've, you've built that habitual purchase, and you don't want to lose those yeah. people. Because, like I said, there's so many other things out there. 
that we were fighting for their attention for. You know, Absolutely. you know, you know. Luckily, we took the week off that Grand Theft Auto came out. You know? <laughs> 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 made my life. <laughs> Wait a minute, that's probably the w why you guys took it off because it was coming out. That's it. All the creators, all the artists. We took the damn week off. Why are we not getting pages? Let's get the hell out of the way. Check the Xbox Gamer tag. Exactly. Well, one last thing before before we let you go. While we have you here, you know, Tom wants to know if you can get Jeff Johns to write every DC book. Oh, you mean he's not? Almost, almost. What the hell goes on here? Which, what book did he leave? <laughs> you know something I don't know. Oh, sorry. Don't tell me he took a day off. <laughs> he does always play Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> I don't see him playing GTA. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know. I have never played. He is. Yeah, I thought so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to admit to who I know who might be playing. <laughs> Nice. Well, Dan, thanks so much for Thank coming you guys, by. Guys. I really, it's really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot, guys. Have Thank a good show. Thanks. Good luck with the rest of the show. Thanks. All right, we're back, and I am joined by two lovely ladies from the Suicide Girls. How are you guys doing today? Doing good. Lixon Suicide here. Silencia Suicide here. Nice to meet you both. You have a booth set up at the show today. What are you What are you guys promoting? What is the Suicide Girls? Tell me Tell me about the Suicide Not that I don't know. <laughs> tell our <laughs> listeners. Know. Yes, for those um, who don't. We are an alternative pinup website. A bunch of hot, tattooed, and pierced girls, some with crazy colored hair. Uh, we're all naked on the internet. Wow, <laughs> who doesn't like that? It's also an awesome just online community, kind of like MySpace, but with a lot less errors. Well, a lot less lame people. <laughs> a lot less lame people. People well, actually spell and, and use complete sentences. And we've branched out to, there's a burlesque troupe, we've mm -hmm. got a DVD over at the booth, actually, documenting the first tour. Um, we've been on episodes of CSI. We've got, oh, and we're all over the G4 network all the time. Um, we're on HBO and Showtime. Um, it's huge. A, Suicide Girls are everywhere. We're having a TV show of our own soon. Even really? Well, I saw the, um, was it HBO? There was like a sort of documentary made on yeah. uh, the traveling. Uh, yeah, group. that was probably the burlesque tour. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. And, you know, the interesting thing about what you guys do is, is that it was sort of like the anti- uh, bunny thing, you know what yeah. I mean? It was like you don't have to be, uh, you know, five eleven and uh, thirty four, twenty four, thirty four to be sexy, exactly. and you know, and and uh, I think that's awesome because, you know, a guy who is uh, always like tattoos and colored hair, and I mean, it's like not everybody Hot looks the same. Yeah, side. you know, yeah, exactly, absolutely, you know, and I think they're not it, all blonde with blue eyes. And I think it's it's really a positive <laughs> thing too because so many more people can, you know girls, young girls out there can see that kind of thing and go, yeah, I don't have to be this certain thing mm -hmm. to be uh, powerful and sexy and strong and, you know, and smart and everything else. There's lots know. of girls who come up and say the exact thing. You guys are such an inspiration. I'm just really glad there are models out there that don't look like quote-unquote model right, model. Right, right. So. Yeah, because who can, I mean, it's like who lives up to a photograph anyway, mm -hmm. airbrushed, <laughs> uh, you know. Um, so you guys do a lot of the cons? Is this, I mean, a pretty normal thing? of? Um, the the website as a whole, we've got close to like 2,000 girls or so. So whenever there's a convention in one area, some of the local girls will come out. We're up in Seattle from Portland. Oh, okay. Actually, us too. Both. So. There's about 10 of you over there, I think. 
something like something that. Like that. A little bit less than that today. We had we had, we had 15 or so yesterday. I think we've got five, six, something over there today. Maybe seven at some point. We're mm-hmm. coming and going on lunch breaks and wandering around and whatnot. And the website's <laughs> transformed from you know the initial concept of it. I mean, there's a lot of. Uh, of uh, content provided by other people, and I, I know comic book related. Warren Ellis uh, has a, a column over there that he does, and uh, there's just a lot more of information and stuff on there. And that, that, that's Will another. Is our, our geek editor? There's a Will section we... of the website with different news stories and whatnot. So you can you can read it for the articles. Read, for the, <laughs> read it for the articles, absolutely. <laughs> well, cool. Thank you both for joining me. It's awesome. Yeah. I think, like I said, I think what you guys do is, is really cool. And our uh, pleasure. And thanks a lot for coming on Around Comics. We're on the floor at the Emerald City Comic Con with one of our, our past favorite interviewees. Uh, we're joined by Richard Starkings from Comicraft and Elephant Men fame. Richard, how you hey, doing? Hey, Chris. Do I speak into this mosquito net here? Is that what I'm doing? <laughs> Trying to keep away the flies. Right. Well, we heard about Seattle, all the water, that you know we came out with bug repellent and uh, ready to go. You get us flatlanders out here. And we have yeah, I was hoping for a little bit more rain. I'm English. I thought I'd get some wet weather when it's, I was here. It's been nice. It's been sunny yeah. and dry. Crazy. How, how do the English um, adapt to L.A.? Well, you know, it's kind of like being in a English tourist resort all year round. So, you know, we, we kind of like it because it's got, you know, Santa Monica is sort of the typical British town. It's got a uh, pier, it's got a beach, and it's got sunshine all year round. So it's sort of, you'll, you'll see a lot of British people congregate in that area. So we, we, we like it, but we miss, you know, those that, of us that live here miss the rain. So it's like it's like vacationing in uh, in Spain, right? On the Spanish. But coast. we're in Seattle, <laughs> <laughs> and it's not raining. That's my point. <laughs> it is a lot. I keep yeah. hearing all this rain. It rains every day. Yeah. It's always raining. Everybody's depressed. Has it rained once? Everybody's happy. It's yeah. clean. It's, it's crazy. No, it's, and I haven't I seen any depressed. I think from they Seattle. Do. I think the only one I know is my artist Justin Norman, <laughs> who's not I, here because he's depressed. I think they they make all this stuff up to keep us away from this city. I they don't so. want us all coming yeah. here because it's, it's a great the best city. Kept secret, yeah. yeah. I think that's what it is. Oh, it rains all the time. It's cold. Don't go there. Don't go here. Yeah, and the people Meanwhile. are really positive, really cheerful. Yeah. This is a great crowd. Yeah. The show. It's been a, a one heck of a show for a smaller con. I mean, it's been busy both days, and, uh, you know, it's nice because the, it's more of a fan show as opposed to the yeah. big media things. And Well, I was just talking to uh, our Jim's brother. What's his name? Is Joe? Uh, Jim DeMarcus' oh, brother. Oh, yes, yes. And uh, I was pointing out that, um, you know, all the hospitals and uh, mental institutions are painted green <laughs> in order to keep everybody sedate. It's called Institution Green, uh, yeah. the color. So I'm just wondering if that's contributing to the nice <laughs> passive atmosphere Everything here, because all the drapes are green, it's Emerald calm. City, the walls all are the green. walls are green, so I, I think maybe somebody knew be, what they were doing. Yeah, I think you might be onto something. Yeah, there. and you're the only booth with the power drop, I think, so there's no <laughs> boom boxes, no video. No, it's awesome to not no, have Nobody's complaining about their neighbors here. It's been nice because of that. No, yeah. You don't have the huge booths with the yeah, lights with and the wrestlers. constant and DVD and video, so, you know, I think... Uh, 
Wizard World could learn a thing or two from Emerald City. I wish mm-hmm. Jim was running those shows. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah. He knows how to he knows how to take care of everybody too. It's I mean. really really uh, friendly uh, atmosphere. All the guys that are helping out are really helping out the people that are here. Yeah, and. Um, you know, I've been to a lot of shows. It's my first Seattle show, but that's how you should treat sure, your uh, exhibitors, your guests, and your retailers because they're the people bringing in the customers. Bringing in the people, yeah, absolutely. You know. yeah, too many times you hear stories about how how creators and, and exhibitors are treated exactly. at shows, and it's like ridiculous. I mean, why yeah. why bother going? And if exhibitors are treated well, the exhibitors are going to treat the customers well. Right. And right. if the customers are treated well, they're going to be more excited about reading comics, absolutely. and that should be. That should be the goal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's the whole. I mean, I've heard from more than one creator, you know, today talking about, or not not creator, more more than one fan talking about how it, the, the atmosphere around Artist Alley. It's just everybody's really relaxed and so much more friendly and everything than, than at the bigger show. I've always felt that Artist Alley should be the spine. It should be the center of any show yeah. because that's why people want to come. They want to see the people creating the comics. Yeah. That's what they makes can, the show unique. Exactly. Because yeah. every other show is you know, very similar. And it's a, it's a shame, you know, I know that there's been a lot of conversation amongst the organizers of San Diego Comic Con about really trying to keep Artist Alley, but they haven't worked hard enough to do so. Yeah. It really should be a big central area where uh, the artists are given pride of place. It shouldn't mm-hmm. be up to the publishers to give artists pride of place. Artists should be, they should be given a free That's ride at any yeah. show, they should be, be given a table, they should be treated as honored guests, and they should be the focus. Artists and podcasters. <laughs> well, I think that's, that's that's not such a fine line. It's more of a sort of uh, baseball field between the two. A little bit. A little yeah. bit. Well, your your old hat at uh, at conventions. Old hat. Old hat. Oh gosh. Wow. Is that like an old? That's a compliment. Is that like an old shoe? No comfortable shoe. Well, like a comfortable old shoe. Yeah. Good, pair, good pair of broken jeans. Right. Uh, but your your career kind of started at Marvel UK. Yeah, right? I've been going to Comic Cons. Well, I've been going to shows. My brother used to take me to small marts, which is what we called a comic book market, a comic mart in England. I've been going to them since I was 10 years old. Wow. In fact, you know, when I used to go to shows, my brother was a dealer. So what, 10, 12 years? Thank you. Uh, <laughs> you know, he, he only says that joke. because he's also follically challenged. <laughs> <laughs> so he used to take me to shows when he was a dealer. He used to deal in Golden Age comics. And uh, other dealers and people in the industry used to say to me, are you Mel Starking's brother? And I used to say, yes, I'm Mel Starking's brother. But then about 20 years later, when he was going to the Westminster Mart in London, people used to come up to him and say, you were just Starking's brother? <laughs> nice. He didn't like that at all. <laughs> I'm right. the youngest of the four. Turn the tables about and fair play, right? right. Yeah, right. absolutely. Well, you know, Obviously, when I uh, have you over here to talk about Elephant Man, it's one of one of our favorite books. And Thank you. It, it just consistently good stories, great art. Uh, whether it's you know Ladrone working on the, on the hip flask or, or Justin Mortat for people that read the, the covers, it is just such a well crafted book. And you just finished up the the three issue story on War Toys. And yeah. It was it was a, a, a great story. Um, can I talk about how the the genesis of that book came about? Well, War Toys was really uh, spun out of one illustration that Ladrone did in Unnatural Selection, which was the variant cover of uh, issue one of War Toys. It was a shot of uh, the character Horn with a legion of soldiers behind him. And I, mm-hmm. I, I never figured that they actually had fought the war until he drew that 
uh, <laughs> illustration, I thought, well, yeah, it is kind of odd if we have these characters that are bred to be unstoppable fighting machines. Right. If they, um, if they end up not fighting <laughs> a war. So I sort of changed my mind when I saw that illustration. And uh, Ladrone has that tendency to throw something at me that um, I hadn't imagined um, that's that, that he felt was sort of inevitably part of the story. That's got to be a lot of fun to, to have you, yeah. you know, the creation take a life of its own. And it, 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 it is great to work with it. This is the advantage always of working with a collaborator, mm -hmm. is that they'll throw you something you didn't expect, and you're able to sort of throw it back and put a right. bit of a spin on it, and then they'll throw it back to you in another way. So in, in one sense, that illustration, I wanted to write the story of that illustration. And the way he was working back then, every panel was a cover. Right. Every panel has so much work in it because he would blow it up on the screen and really put so much detail. He's, he's not putting quite as much detail in anymore because things need to be finished. You know. <laughs> but um, I really wanted to use that as a cover and, and write that story. So that's where War Toys started from. But um, once Justin got a hold of it, he really sort of uh, you know, went to town. And it actually headed in a direction I didn't expect because he, I had asked for two resistance fighters on the last page of issue one, and he made one of them a girl, of course, <laughs> with a beret. He does and, like. And uh, we, we've seen his sketch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He likes to draw girls. <laughs> he likes no to draw question girls. about that. And I like to see him draw girls, so that's sure. fine. But um, the the character in War Toys I hadn't originally imagined as being a girl. I'd imagine it as being a sort of embittered John Connor right. resistance right. fighter but when I saw the girl I thought well I know he's going to draw her well so let's make it a girl and that's how Yvette came to be into being and Yvette completely took over the story it was not right. going to be her story but she personified the sort of um, uh, small human fighting against mm -hmm. these unstoppable, unstoppable fighting machines, machines. so um, it was one of those serendipitous things that it started as one story with One Direction and just that sort of addition of Justin, you know, putting a little bit more character into a Something. drawing made me turn in a different direction. And I think it's more poignant because it's, uh, war is so masculine and Yvette is so feminine. Right. And yet she becomes more and more hardened and if you might say masculine sure. and, and hip becomes more in touch Femin with his feminine <laughs> side. <laughs> you know, so he becomes more human and she becomes more animalistic in the course of the series which is the that was the intent no matter who the other character was but right. I think Justin's got a really human touch the way he draws both the elephant men and the human characters so he sort of polarized the humanity and the animality in, in a way I didn't expect and it's actually one of the favorite things that he and I have done together and I really think he broke free of Ladrone's shadow in War Toys because perhaps he, it was a sort of separate story it was set in the past of the right. Elephant Men and it wasn't necessarily using characters that uh, Ladrone had created he could really bring his own expertise and ability and that I mean to me that's one of the cool things about the whole Elephant Men universe is that you know because it's this you know uh, huge story that, that you know you have the war and the history of it and all these characters and you could pull from anywhere in there uh, you know yeah. and tell any type of story you really want at well in fact you know. the next issue which is issue 12 we pulled forward a fill in just to gain some uh, time on the schedule because we did fall a little bit behind um, so issue 12 is a film by Rob Steen and it just tells 
It tells the story of two characters who are, who are also sort of throwaway characters that Ladrone put in a uh, panel of a natural selection. It's the two guys digging through the mass graves mm. uh, from Mapo. the, the uh, Mapo headquarters. And um, I always thought there's a, there was one guy looking at a skull in the drawing. I was like, I wonder what he's thinking. <laughs> so that story is about the two uh, cleanup guys, two South African guys, two basically blue-collar workers. Right working in a mass grave and, and what kind of effect that has on them and you know I do enjoy the ability to sort of say well here's a story that I can tell that's separate from the sort of soap opera elements of the right. ongoing series and uh, if anything I'm spoiled for choice and I think a lot of people would like me to get back on track and tell the story <laughs> of Hip Last, Vanity Case, Mickey and all those guys but um, we'll wait. I think what makes it interesting is the bigger tapestry and the bigger texture of the stories which um, you know, it's something that always appealed to me in books like Judge Dredd or uh, TV shows like The X-Files, that they would mm -hmm. have the mythology, but then they would do Monster of the Week stories. And in Judge Dredd, often Judge Dredd was a secondary, secondary character sure, in his own sure. strip. And so the writer would sort of create a character. I remember there was a, one story about a guy who sees Judge Dredd and starts running away he just feels guilty instantly and Judge Dredd <laughs> says stop citizen and ch starts chasing him and the guy starts pushing people out of the way knocking over a uh, uh, a child um, breaking out through a window and he commits so many crimes running away from Judge Dredd and um, gets thrown in jail for like five years and um, he said but, but Judge Dredd why did you stop me in the first place he said well you dropped a piece of litter and I was going to caution you <laughs> <laughs> so, it, you know, it's really like the effect that the characters have. Has, yeah. Judge, Judge Dredd has an effect just by walking to the room, and the elephant men have an effect. I was saying to somebody yesterday that if an elephant man walked across the hall right now, if a real live creature like that, everybody would have a very uh, interesting reaction. Sure. Even if he wasn't behaving in any kind of a monstrous way. And of course, the world of the Elephant Man is one where people have already got over that initial reaction, but still carry certain feelings, lingering, lingering feelings about them. You know, and we're actually doing a, a one shot. Marion Churchland, who's a friend of Justin's, uh, she's doing a, a one, uh, an eight-page Conan story right now for Dark Horse, but she's doing a 22-page issue of Elephant Men, just about Mickey, and it's really about Mickey's lingering uh, attraction to Hip Flask and it, the whole issue is really about the way she feels and about the way her mother feels about that and it's, it's really a sort of um, examination of someone who's attracted to the elephant mm -hmm. men rather than repulsed by them so I, I really do enjoy sort of stopping and, and exploring that kind of moment rather than just sort of brushing past it and throwing it away. It, it, it amazes me sometimes um, you know uh, uh, with characters that are based on animal, uh, anim, uh, what's the correct word? Anamorphic. Anthropomorphic. Anim, anim, there you go. Um, you know, it's very hard. So, you know, I mean, a lot of times it's it's very hard to make them convincing characters. You know, um, but you know, with with other than like Black Sad, which is a book that obviously did it, you know extremely well, and Elephant does it so well. I mean, that, there's there's with Hip, there's times where you, at least I do forget that he looks the way he does and he's such a um, a poignant character you know he's so humane uh, right. and human even though he's you know he is what he is um, it, it just amazes me that that character has been able to and just 
and, and yet he's done so little. <laughs> well, yeah, that, yeah, maybe that that is it too. Yeah, that, 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 I think you know, um, I'm I'm gratified that you pick up on that. I always felt that when uh, you know, and we talked about this last time, when a character like the Thing is written very well, mm -hmm. um, even though you really don't know a lot about Ben Grimm, you really understand his dilemma. Right. You know, it has a lot to do with his attraction to uh, Alicia Masters, mm -hmm. but. It also has so much to do with that dilemma of being uh, a tough guy or a sweetheart. Right. You know, and that's Ben Grimm's dilemma yeah, because Ben Grimm is a sweetheart. And in fact, I think he was one of the things that comes across very well in the movies. I always thought it would be easier to be, make a character uh, like Johnny Storm sympathetic, but they did a really good job making him <laughs> slick and obnoxious yeah. and making uh, Ben Grimm a sweetheart. Yeah. You know, the one that, you know, you would... Ben's the one that you feel connected to. You feel right. connected to, and you would feel like he would protect you and not be only interested in himself. And I think that's what's attractive about Hip Flask, in that he's the sort of everyman character that you're right. going to project your hopes and dreams onto. Absolutely. You're the one that you know that you're connected to him, and you know that the reason that the girls are attracted to him, because really he's us. Yeah. Really the girls are attracted to us. You know, they don't see it it's inside. It's the sensitive guys, be. you know, yeah. <laughs> the, the monster on the outside a little bit. And, and I think and one thing that's been interesting to me as a writer is that I, I, do, I don't know why I've avoided sympathetic human male leads, other than they're already there, you just can't see them. They are the, right. the male leads that we already have, are, are the uh, elephant men themselves, but I've been toying with the idea of introducing a male character, but I know that that would create conflict. That there yeah, would be conflict with, with the elephant men themselves. Right. So I've been sort of avoiding doing that uh, consciously because even though it might be an interesting character angle, I'd rather sort of fully develop the elephant men first. The other thing I think you do so well is that you, you, know, you really balance between... Um, you know, not not telling things too on the nose. I mean, you you obviously with the elephant, you can draw a lot of of things from it. You know, whether it's uh, you know politics and religion and racism and you know, there's so many elements in it. But but you do such a fine job of not ever you know preaching or pointing you know pointing things out on the Are nose. Are you saying I just don't have an opinion? No, no. I, I think <laughs> well, you have the respect for the readers to develop. Yeah. Well, I think though that um, the way most of us move through the world is we don't have a hard and fast opinion we react right and the way I've unraveled the story of the elephant men and the story of the world war in which they fought has been on a need-to-know basis because that's how we come to understand for instance what's going on in Iraq right now it's not that we aren't interested or concerned it's that we find out the information when Bit we hear time. about a specific story like the uh, the rescue of the uh, the female marine, mm -hmm. you know. So immediately we become emotionally invested, and we start to make a decision about what that means to us mm -hmm. as people that are hearing the news. Um, but that still doesn't mean we know the full story. Right. You know, when we hear about Abu Ghraib, we hear what makes us react. And, so yeah. we see one photograph of a guy hooked up to electrodes with a hood over his head. We have an emotional reaction to it. It's not an intellectual. It's not mm -hmm. a um, educated educated yeah. reaction it's an emotional one and and both sides depend on our emotional reaction um, you know I was watching Saving Private Ryan last night there was just I just got the last half hour where there's the bloodbath at the end where mm -hmm. Tom Hanks character dies a slow death and Private Ryan 
uh, wonders what that was all about because of course he was being extracted from the war and it was a totally emotional uh, depiction of, of, of a conflict between uh, German and uh, American soldiers yeah. I, I was reading just before War Toys I was reading some books by a very popular author in Europe called Sven Hassel he was a Danish soldier who fought for uh, the Germans in World War II. Mm. And all my school friends used to read Sven Hassel, and I used to be very dismissive of that. I thought, oh, that's just glorifying war, and I won't sully my mind with that <laughs> material. I'm too busy reading science fiction. <laughs> um, but they're really good books because they're written from the point of view of a soldier that's just as much a victim as a British soldier sure. or an American soldier and it's the first book is called Comrades of War and it really is about how the his friends became a unit and um, another book I was reading a, a sort of a, a non-fiction book called Acts of War describes how soldiers in battle um, cannot relate to the bigger picture politically they relate to each other and they're trained to save one another and it becomes emotional for them so when they're in a conflict it's emotional for them to save their buddy because that's them saving themselves sure. because their emotional connections become all about who they're connected to in their unit so this is why in in wartime um, there's so much focus on single fighting units with continuity of commanders. Continuity well, because otherwise, it's it's too much for them to grasp. It's, it's and, too much and, for them to grasp, and they're not to. effective that way. Right. So these, this series of books by Sven Hassel really beautifully illustrates that, and they will come across other soldiers. They'll interact with enemy. They'll be captured, and but it's all about the human ordeal of going through the war. In the same way, Saving Private Ryan was sort of a revelation in that it was purely about. The, the, the horrors faced in that human ordeal mm -hmm. which ultimately led in one person surviving and another dying at the end of Saving Private Ryan uh, Ryan says to his wife tell me I was a good person because tell me I was, was my life was, was worth yeah, saving yeah. and I think whether it's the elephant men you're talking about or any soldier or any human being going to any situation in their life you know how are you creating the most value no matter what you've done, we all make mistakes. And whether we're fighting in a war we believe in or not, and whether we are living in a country we believe in or not, it's always from this day onward. What do you make of that? What do you, you know? You can be uh, an, an you can be anti-war, but taking part in a conflict because you you're part of the emergency services or you're part of um, uh, some in some way. All of us are connected to the war. Sure, but. From each day, how do you respond to that? How do you respond? And in fact, we're going to do a second War Toys series where you'll see how Hip behaves in the war as he becomes um, more human, mm -hmm. in fact. You know? And I think, again, reading this book, Acts of War, I, d I, I realized that every single soldier goes through that experience whereby when you're facing a situation where you're surrounded by civilians and you don't know whether the 14-year-old is your enemy or the 94-year-old old man that's limping is your enemy, then you have to regard everyone as your enemy for, for that same 
self-preservation. Yeah. And it's a dehumanization of your enemy too. You, you dehumanize the enemy yeah. and you, you, you give greater humanity to your colleagues and yeah. you give greater humanity to the country you're serving because it's essential sure. for your own survival Bible. to do so. So what I was exploring in War Toys was how important it was for um, the resistance to dehumanize the enemy and that how um, inevitable it was for the elephant men to become humanized because they are half human right. and even though you can brainwash uh, soldiers the way uh, the Khmer Rouge were brainwashed if you've ever seen the movie The Killing Fields uh, you know Pol Pot's uh, political regime uh, the red uh, the red tigers red, red, uh, the, the, no, the, the, the Kamal Rouge I think they were called I think uh, which might mean red tigers, but um, basically they trained uh, children to, to be soldiers, soldiers and believe that everybody else was the enemy from a very, very young age. Well, you but, see that in, in countries today. I mean, you yeah. see that in, in But ultimately, once you develop a relationship with somebody that's your enemy... Um, that conflict all of a sudden is... Yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a great uh, documentary maker in England called uh, Louis Thoreau, who makes... Um, he basically sort of wanders into the middle of a situation that he wants to make a documentary about. It can be about celebrities or it can be about... He was, he was talking about uh, a few weeks ago about hunting in South Africa. There's legitimized hunting where you pay to kill a rhino or pay to right. kill uh, an antelope or something. But he made a documentary about um, uh, Nazis in, I'm not sure if it was in America, I think it was in America, a sort of new Nazi party. And he went into that situation as a Jew to interview them, and they didn't know he was Jewish, but they became friends with him because he's white. So they just saw him as some sure. documentary maker helping other people understand his cause right. as a Nazi. So at one point, Louis said, well, would it trouble you if I told you I was a Jew? And he was talking to a bunch of neo-Nazi skinheads. And they said, well, are you? And he said, well, does it, does it matter? And at that moment, the friendship that he'd built with them became more fragile. Right. And his conversation then, he said, well, you know, I, I choose not to tell you whether I am or I'm not. And they said, well, we really need to know. Take, turn the camera off. And he said, well, why, why? Why do you want me to turn the camera off? What are you going to do? And they said, don't worry, we're not going to do anything to you. We just need to know whether you're a Jew or not. And what, what he did was he went into a situation, um, willingly befriended them, um, got to know their children, and then sort of turned the tables on them by saying, well, what do you, how do you react to me now? Right. Those and preconceived notions didn't exist. Yeah. So they to. were challenged because they'd got to know and like him. And that, I think, is the, uh, the burden that's on all countries today is to get to know your enemy. people. Well, not your enemy. And not get, get think of them immediately as your enemy. Right. You know, and, and, uh, Understanding you know, more than, than yeah. you know. Yeah. And I think that's what comes across, you know, that's, clearly a personal philosophy I have that I like to get across in Elephant Men is that just because they're big and frightening and could crush you sure. with a single flick of a <laughs> finger uh, doesn't mean that that's what they're going to do right. even if they were bred and designed you know and one of the things that I think came across in issue one of Elephant Men is that we have that sort of fear of the veteran the amputee the guy with a brain yeah, damage yeah. We have that fear of someone who we should have the most compassion for. Right. Because they did not end up that way by choice. choice. They, they, they were choosing to defend 
their country, believing it to be the noble thing to do. So it doesn't matter why, it doesn't matter if it's Vietnam, it doesn't matter if it's Iraq, it doesn't matter if it's World War II. Um, World War veterans and, and war veterans right across the board uh, should invite our compassion, but instead we tend to react with fear and we tend to think that they're panhandlers or you know, we tend to think they're going to want something from us or that they're embarrassing mm -hmm. to us. And I think that's a huge problem uh, in America right now and in terms of the administration's attitude towards veterans and cutting the sort of um, funding that's funding available for veterans. For, yeah, for veterans. It's, it's absolutely essential that if we're <coughs> going to send soldiers to war, we better take care of them and their families afterwards. Other, otherwise, then no war is, is worthy. There's no such thing as a just war. Well, at some point, it's almost like they be <laughs> going back to what we were talking about earlier, and, and that that uh, dehumanization of something. It's like you, uh, you you blind them out almost. They become you. They become numb at some yeah, point. Yeah, we all do. It's not, we're yeah, already numb. Every single right. person in America is numb to war. I mean, you know, the you have to be the, the amount of U.S. casualties I saw on CNN this week is, is past 4,000, mm. but the, the, new, the, the network news have stopped counting because people aren't interested. You know, there's 2,000 suicides of uh, ex-U.S. Uh, soldiers, you know, in the last five yeah. years. You know, we don't hear that statistic um, because it's embarrassing and it makes us uncomfortable um, because really we, we won't want a, a change in why we're fighting a war until we're hungry or we can't afford to put gas sure. in our cars. We're fat drive. and happy, and, and we don't want to yeah. worry about it. We, you know. Yeah, well, you and I are fat and happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, well, those are certainly, certainly stories that, uh, that we see in Old Men, lessons that we learn there, and that's one of the things I love about the book is that besides being visually stunning and, and a great uh, you know, bordering on the, on, on the fantastic, not bordering on the fantastic, it certainly is a fantastic story, there's, there's depth to it and there's meat to the story. Right. So yeah, I think I said last time also, you know, Stan Lee always said that if you surround your characters with a lot of believability, then people will believe the characters no matter how fantastic they are. And I think that is what Ladrone brought to the book. It's definitely what Justin Norman Moritat has brought to the book. And I've been very fortunate in that because of the high quality of their work, I've attracted some talented artists who are sort of attracted to that sort of meat and potatoes approach. And, and that guy Chris Burnham. And Chris Burnham, yeah. you know, I'm, I think he's, he's on a tailspin now. I think <laughs> it's all downhill. Down. <laughs> well, Richard, it is always a pleasure talking with Thank you. Thank you. We're going to continue to read as many Elephant Man or Hip Flash stories that, that you can get out. And, and the good uh, news is Ladrone has actually started work again on <laughs> Hip Flask 4. He finished uh, Incarl Finale, Finale Incarl, I think it's called. So he is actually at work penciling the, the next issue of Hip Flask right now. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, Richard, it's always such a pleasure for us to have you on. And Thank you. You are just a, a wealth of information and entertainment, and, and thanks so much for All right. For being no on. problem. Have a great show. Good to see you. All right. You too.
I'm not gonna stop on this. Is the, this is the part where um, Chris and Sal left, so it leaves me the least technical savvy to do the interview. And we're talking to uh, Josh Dysart, who is working on the uh, BPRD 1946, uh, mm -hmm. writing it. Um, Paul Azaketa yes. is, doing, is doing the art. Uh, yes. Last issue comes out on Wednesday. Yes. Uh, I've All been true. loving it. I've Thanks. been loving it. It's, it's great. I love the old. Any flashback stuff? With yeah, the yeah. Stuff oh, yeah. I was born to write it. It was. It, uh, it's. I'm having a blast. And you know, um, the last issue totally pumps it up to eleven. It gets ridiculously pulp. Awesome. Well, it, I mean, I don't know how much more pulp it can get when the last oh, issue ended with uh, like a Nazi head in a yeah. jar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> crab yeah it is really, only the beginning. You've got Nazis and vampires and, and tubes of, of zombie vampire. I mean, yeah. Robot gorillas. No more pulp. Mechanical, like but, yeah, ape cyborg gorilla, demon baby girls. <laughs> yeah, don't leave it uh, anything out. Don't leave it. It's uh, the big soup. It, honestly, if it had sprung from the mind of anyone other than Mike Mignola, my editor and co-creator on this, uh, it would have been crap. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, only Mike could so take well. that soup and make it awesome. It, it's sort of funny for me. Uh, I really love the, the Hellboy stories, but to be honest, I've almost fallen more in love with the BPRD stories. As yeah, sort of yeah. like. I think for like an old time comic fan, you know, I love old time comics. It's that team yeah. aspect, yeah, that absolutely. It, in it, but it also mixes the Hellboy sort of mythology yeah. stuff into it. So it's a it's a really cool book for I think maybe people who don't want to leave sort of the comfort of the superhero team, yeah, but they absolutely. can still get that flavor. You know, Mike and I are um, we're slowly going to push the series towards kind of challengers of the unknown territory. Ooh, you nice. know, we're, we're looking forward to um, being able to have them in their jumpsuits and <laughs> like. Uh, I mean, it's great. I mean, you know, that's what we're doing. We're building the team. Like yeah. we, we announced Forty Seven yesterday, and um, and Forty Seven is the story of the first, you know, the first outing of the handpicked team that Broom has sent out. So we're talking about the first real BPRD agents. I mean, the, you know, 46 was about Broom and his yeah. and his peer, you know, but this is this is a, a real team where we they've looked at the files, they've handpicked them in. Jumpsuits. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, they don't get jumpsuits yet. That's oh, okay. uh, oh, sorry. We're taking it slowly. What issue? Can we yeah, what issue can we look We're looking at jumpsuits in the 50s. Not yet. That was a more this is more era. like Elliot Nass vampire fighter is what we're talking about. Now. <laughs> okay. We're talking about fedoras and uh, trench coats. And is uh, 47 going to be another uh, five issue? Yeah, yeah, five issues, it? absolutely. Yeah. It won't focus on Broom uh, as much as the last one, but we'll get back. Broom is in it, and we'll get back to Broom with 48. So, yeah. Nice. Uh, and a lot more young Do you have plans too. to keep sort of going in that age? Well, yeah, we probably won't do every single year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. Let me tell you something. Comic fans are obsessive compulsive. Yeah, they yeah. would if, love that. If you skip, like, like, yeah, why don't, don't they do fifty two? You, you got to yeah. do them all, or yeah. don't skip any because. You know, well, you know, to be honest, at the rate we're going, at one retro BPRD story per, per year, year, it's times we're slower back yeah, then. Yeah, it's gonna be a while. I'm, I'll be in my eighties, and we'll be. There was only yeah. one adventure a year back mm -hmm. in the. Back yeah, in the exactly. 40s and 50s. Exactly. So, I mean, I, I, we really need to start skipping years pretty soon here. Because there's some stuff we want to get to. You can do a span. Oh, yeah. BPRD 1956 through 62. It was, nicer, it, was nicer, it was a nicer... It was a nicer... Like know. a collage. It's, of not, it's not really as nice of a title, I'll admit, but it's effective. Yeah. You, got, yeah. Uh, you can get some, uh, you know, some Don, Don McLean background music. Yeah. It's just a happier time for, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for the BPRD. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I'm really looking forward to... Uh, 
you know, the Cold War is my thing, and I think that's a big part of why Mike brought me on. And we started like laying. He's wearing a communist shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Cold War is my thing. It gets me hot, actually. Uh, he's, got a, he's got a book by Kissinger. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so I think that's a lot of the reason why Mike brought me on on 46, because I mean that was really the ground zero for the Cold War. You know, it was Berlin, and at the end of the World War II, and. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting into the 50s and literally doing our occult James Bond stuff. That's really going to be a blast, and it's going to give a new flavor to the overall Hellboy universe. Once we introduce our our occult James Bond, yeah. I think it's going to be really tight. And I'll, I'll, that'll be a, in about 10 years from now, so <laughs> so keep reading. <laughs> what else? Uh, are you working on anything else besides the, the BPRD yeah, stuff I, right I now? Yeah, I just finished uh, writing... And Cliff Chang has just begun illustrating the art for the graphic novel I did with, with Neil Young. Based, oh, yeah. uh, Greendale. Greenland, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I am in the middle of working on, um, or trying to get enough issues in the can of Unknown Soldier, which will launch in yes. October. Yeah. I love, uh, in fact, I got uh, some sketches of Unknown Soldier yesterday. Oh, awesome. <laughs> it says, I love the old yeah, Unknown yeah. Soldier Well, books. I it's really hope we don't screw it up for you. <laughs> And Don't I, worry, I'll just forget about it. If oh, good. <laughs> everywhere I go, people are like, oh, I love the old Unknown Soldier. And you're like, like oh, oh I thought everyone forgot I thought about it. Was it. Unknown. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This is backfiring entirely. <laughs> well, I hope you like it. <laughs> I thought no one would remember it. Yeah. So it's, it's not like you're working with anything that has any legacy. I mean, it's like you're in the Hellboy universe. Yeah. Oh, no, <laughs> no chance awful. to screw that up. No, no, uh, no. You know, that you've got the Unknown Soldier. I already sunk Swamp Thing, so it's like. Yeah. <laughs> where where'd it go from here? Brian Vaughn did that too, and it worked out for him. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's the only thing that's kept me afloat now. There's this industry perception that if you fail at Swamp Thing, you will succeed at everything afterwards. Swamp Thing's a, it's a slump buster. Everyone yeah, jumps on that grenade. Mark Millar, too. You know? Mark yeah. Millar took a bullet for Swamp Thing. Absolutely. If you, bl- if you blow a Swamp Thing run, big things are in store. Don't worry <laughs> no, about yeah, it. Be it's the way to go, really. I'd be worried if you did Swamp Thing well. And succeeded. <laughs> that would be it. That's You'd it. be like, yeah, then, like Roger Moore and James Vaughn. You would never, ever be, really get to do anyone again. Everyone would kind of look around and be like, this is suspiciously good. Yeah. And I don't yeah. quite know yeah. what it's to do. It's surprised Neil Young would have anything to do with you, really. Yeah, so. no, absolutely. Well, it was only because I failed at Swamp Thing. Neil, I want that guy who failed miserably. Frank That's came on the other guy. <laughs> That's right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, thanks no, no for pressure. talking to us. Uh, I love BPRD 1946. Awesome. Thanks, if you man. haven't picked it up, um, it's one of my favorite of the Hellboy Universe books that have come awesome. out. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, good luck. Blast. I look forward to 47 coming out. Thanks, I look brother. forward to Greendale. Is that, yep. Yeah, you're doing great. I'm. T- this is not what I usually do. Usually what happens during the interviews is Chris and Sal do the talking, yeah. and I half pay attention and uh-huh. occasionally interject some sort of snarky nice. remarks so usually I don't have to focus awesome well you've really manned up you <laughs> did know. a great job <laughs> this is just my swamp thing though yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is it this is your last interview brother well it was a pleasure for it to have done it with you absolutely so. and thanks Josh for staring at me I, yeah I was, I was kind of surprised at your ability to take over so I was just like I will just quit all right, this will then. be fine alright <laughs> everyone let's all go separate ways alright all right, never, never meet again <laughs> break And that'll take care of the second part of our Emerald City Comic Con coverage. Hope you're enjoying it. And if you are, we have one more left. So 
come back on Monday for uh, an extra-sized episode that'll wrap up the conversations with several different creators and convention-goers and fellow podcasters on the floor at Emerald City Comic Con. We had a, a great time, and I hope that you're enjoying the uh, episodes that we've been able to bring to you from there. And if you have, there's a, there's a couple different ways to let us know. Uh, you can uh, trot on over to the iTunes Music Store and leave us an iTunes Music Review. You can email the show at info at aroundcomics.com or any of uh, the primaries uh, individually at sal at aroundcomics.com, tom at aroundcomics.com, or myself at chris at aroundcomics.com. You can also uh, check out our forum. It's at aroundcomics.com, and it is one of the best online comic book communities out there. It's a way to interact with other like-minded comic book fans. You can also leave your feedback on episode threads just like this one. So uh, check any and all of those out. And uh, remember, we'll be back on Monday to wrap up our, uh, our Emerald City Comic Con coverage. And then we'll get back on our regular schedule from uh, Chicago and Dark Tower Comics. But uh, in the meantime, in between time, we'll be everywhere in and around comics. Views expressed in the interviews or by guests of the show are solely those of the individuals expressing them and may not reflect the opinions of around comics. Any reproduction, rebroadcast, or retransmission without the express written consent of around comics is strictly prohibited. All content presented in this program is the sole possession of Around Comics, and this has been an Around Comics production, copyright 2008.